Well, good morning. So uh, we are in a series called Prioritize. We're walking through the book of Colossians, and uh, the Apostle Paul, he was addressing some things going on in Colossae, and his statement was simply this, look, I need you to be valuing those things of utmost importance in your lives. And so we started out in chapter 1, and we were talking about value the gospel, right? This good news of Jesus Christ and his death and replacement for us, and, and how we can celebrate life in him because of him, the gospel. And then the next piece was not just celebrating the gospel, but Christ himself. May we listen to him. May we hear from him. He is our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. He is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Let's worship him with all we've got. So there is the gospel. Then there's Christ. After that, the church. You know, the expression of the gospel and Christ brought together corporately is the church. And this is what we celebrate when we do gather. And and so make sure that we have a true understanding of his church and we run after that and valuing it. Last week we talked about valuing true life in him, life in Christ. And, And as we looked at it, it actually got into some pretty heavy legalism talk and how we can get distracted with the rules of this world and the simplicities of what man makes up. And we feel like we're being all religious and everything. But really what we're being is very me oriented. I've got this one. I can figure it out. And so that was valuing true life in Christ. This week we're on valuing true life part two. Okay. It's the end of Colossians chapter two. It's starting in verse 16 and he's simply answering the question, how, how can I live this true life? How can I go after it? So that's what we're going to be answering today as you turn with me to Colossians two, verse 16. We got the ushers coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands and if you need one, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. We are going to walk verse by verse and phrase by phrase through this section, okay? So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Colossians 2, 16 to the end. Valuing true life in Christ. So how do I do it? Well, the first point, focused. Place your attentions on the true substance, not the mere shadows. Place your attentions on the true substance, not the mere shadows. Like it's not about those figments and those Flat 2D, no real detail to them, shadows, but it's about Christ himself. Okay, so let's stay focused. All right, let's dive into the passage and see where we get it from. So starting out in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Therefore, and when we see the word therefore, we say... Yeah, what's the therefore, therefore, right? So if you're new with us, yes, we're weird. Say it with us. What's the therefore, therefore, okay? It's a connecting word, and it's just tying together the prior passage with this one and saying because of it, there's some actions we're responsible for, okay? Well, because of what? Well, if you look right before it in verses 13, 14, 15 there, he's talking about what Christ has done for us. He says that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. In fact, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If we trust in him as our savior, this is what he's doing for us. If you come before him and say, Lord, please forgive me. This is his action for us. He cancels the debt, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And here we go. Christ in victory, okay? He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
He disarmed. He put to shame. He triumphed. He canceled. Our God's in charge and he's got it under control. We have an amazing king and eternal life is to be grasped in him. Amen. That's an awesome moment. Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Can you hear it? Like eternal life, disarmed, total triumph, absolute victory. Food and drink? Are you kidding me? Are you hearing the difference? That's what he's saying. Let's be careful. In fact, he says, don't let anybody pass judgment. The word there in the original language is kind of like, don't let anybody be your umpire. It's like you're in the game and there's one ump. And all the fans might be screaming whatever they think happened. He stepped out of bounds or, you know, he's out. Come on. You don't turn and look at the fans and go, was I out? Right? You look to the umpire. What's your call, man? Where am I at with this? That's what he's saying. You've got one umpire. Look to him. Okay. So he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink. Food and drink. Now, Paul is speaking here specifically to some things going on in the law. The Jews were taught very well to respect the law. And the law taught about some unclean foods and some clean foods, some things you could eat and drink and some you shouldn't. And here's some stuff you should stay away from and here's some stuff you can have. And now there's a point to it. And I'm just going to say this real fast. We'll get back to it in a little bit. But we need to understand the law is a type. Okay? That's a fancy literary term. It's a type. What does it mean? It means it's supposed to show you, kind of reflect forward what's coming. All right? So the law is saying, look, I'm telling you, there's going to be a set-apartness and a uniqueness of you. Right now we're doing it with food. But it's about this spiritual thing coming with Christ, and it's going to be amazing. The law is a type, okay? And Christ and life with Christ, we're going to be feeding off of something different than the world. And it's going to be unique and separate. And Are you hearing it? So the law is like a type looking forward to Christ. And we got to understand that Paul's like, just so you know, dude, the type's done. That's what he's saying. Food and drink? You got to be kidding me. That's over. I mean, Christ, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, he says, I've come to fulfill the law, not abolish it. It's not like the law is dead and it's worthless and it was stupid. Hey, the law had a purpose. I fulfilled the law in me complete. I've lived it perfectly. We have somebody who's lived the law completely and he's pouring that righteousness out on us. Are you hearing it? That's fulfillment. And he's like, it's done. The law has been covered. Its only point was to be a measuring stick to let you know, coming up short, but man, God's got a plan. That's the law. So please be careful. It's not about food and drink. Are you sure, Tim? You just took like the whole Old Testament. You're kind of negating it. Give me something to, to lean on there. Acts chapter 10. Okay. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's actually being addressed by God himself. And he says, oh, God, surely you don't want me to eat this food. It's unclean. I know the laws. And God says, it's in red, so we know God said it. And God says, hey, everything I made is clean. This is basically what he's saying. When I got done creating, I declared it all very good. It's not like God said, and it's all good, except for those shellfish and those pigs. Like, I'm telling you, it's all very good, but that's not what he said. He said, it's all very good. And and so there's a cleanness in it because God made it. And while God was using it to set them apart and type something uniquely, he's saying, come on, that's not the big point. The point's done, man. It's fulfilled in Christ. You're free to be able to go and enjoy the cleanness of those foods. Enjoy. Took Peter a little bit to adjust the lifestyle. 
But he got it and he got the message. Food and drink needs to be set down. That's not dietary law for us today. Okay? Acts chapter 10 if you want an example of it. All right. So we're free to have food and drink. We're free to go ahead with whatever it might be. And so now I'm going to touch on the word drink for a moment. Okay? And we're just going to take a little bit of veering off and step into today's society. Okay? So nowadays we have this thing called, well, fundamentalism. Right. And we started it in the early 1900s, actually, is when it came somewhere in the 1920s area. And, and the idea was, let's begin to go back to what God really is honored by. And let's start creating a list of rules that will help us to adhere to that. And quite frankly, it, it ran amok. OK. And so there's a lot of depth to the law. It started to become a big, giant legalistic endeavor in a lot of fronts. Now, hear me. There's a lot of sincere people that are going after God very rightly. And that's great. But when you start to say things like, for example, If you ever have a drink of alcohol, you all, everywhere, everywhere, are are in evil. You're wrong. Okay, we have to be careful with that. Now, I'm just going to tell you right up front. We as a pastoral staff, I, my family, we do not drink. Okay, I don't have a drink. Why? It's not because somehow I'm earning favor with God and I'm getting closer to him by not drinking. It's not that. That's what Paul's talking about here, right? Is the abstention of stuff does not get you closer to God. It doesn't put you in favor with him. But I will tell you this. Today, we have another thing to be considering. All right? And the word is weakness. Everybody say the word with me. What's the word? Yeah, weakness. Okay? And so let's consider it this way. Weakness. First of all, I might be weak. And if I can't handle the drink, if it's going to drive me into a position where I'm getting drunk, I just collapse. Well, then I'm done. Okay, if sin's going to take me over on it, right? Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 basically says, don't be drunk with wine. We're in his excess. So we've got a command. You've got to be able to handle the drink. If the drink gets the better of you, you're done. So everybody hear me? If you have a problem handling the alcohol, you're over with. Set it down. Got a passage for that? 2 Timothy 2, 22. Any fleshly or youthful lust, I'm telling you, flee from it. All right? Don't fall under it. Run from it. So if you got the struggle, you're done. So weakness. Well, I'm not weak. I can handle it. Okay, great. We're not done yet. Weakness. What about the weakness around you too, though? Consider that. And so Romans 14 is a a passage where Paul's addressing that. Hey, the guy next to you might be getting tripped up. First Corinthians chapter eight, verses nine and 10. Same thing. He's saying this, the guy next to you, he might not be as strong. And while he sees you saying, I can have this, I have no problem. And you go after a drink and you start drinking. And then he's like, well, then I can't. And so he drinks and oops, he can't handle it and he collapses. Paul's saying, you're responsible for that. Consider what you're doing for those around you as well. So weakness, it's the key word. It's weakness in me. It's weakness in those around me. And be careful. And so our decision is we're done with alcohol because we want to be very careful about what we do with that. I'm telling you, we have in the last several months gone out to eat several times. We have yet to go out without running into at least one of you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, we know you, we love you, we love to be around you. And honestly, I can't vouch for who's going to see us and who isn't and who's good with and who isn't and what their strengths are and what. And so we're done. And that's where we live. Okay. It's not this gets you closer to God. It's Lord, help me not pull someone further away from you. Are you hearing it? Everybody get that? A lot of heads nodding. Hopefully that's not sleeping. (laughs) Are, Are we in on this? Say yes. All right. This is a big deal. And so Paul's struggle was Jewish law. Our struggle today, well, we kind of got a little different angle on it, but it's the same thing. We got people saying, don't drink. You're wrong if you do. Right? Be careful. It's not just a flat out black and white law, 
but weakness must be considered and the decisions must be carefully weighed. All right. Please pray through that and be very, very responsible with your walk in it. All right. Okay. Food and drink. Now he goes into a couple of really common problems for us today. Uh, festivals and new moons. I don't know. Right. We don't have an issue here, but this was an issue for them. This was practicing what was going on. Uh, festivals, you saw that a lot. You saw it in Numbers 10, it was recognized. And in the new moons, there's this recognition of different times of the year and different times of the month that were celebrations of what God was doing for them and providing for them in the harvest seasons and around it. And he's saying, you don't have to honor those. You're not under the law is what Paul's saying here, okay? And then he says at the end, or even the Sabbath. Did you know that? So it's again, yes, the law is saying follow the Sabbath and you've got, and we believe in a day of rest. There's this model example in the Old Testament of rest is good, okay? But it's not about the, the ritualistic getting favor with God, can't do anything or touch anything on the day of. It's about, Lord, let me model what you modeled. It's, it's six days of hard work and a day of taking it a little easier. And, and that's biblical. It's okay to do that, but it's not a black and white if thou dost not worship on such and such a day then okay got a verse for that tim yeah romans 14 verse 5 okay romans 14 5 and paul literally says hey some of you want to treat one day as extremely unique and special giving it to god great some of you want to treat every day as special to god great like each of you do what's right in your heart to celebrate god and get close to him great do you hear it that's what he's talking about is making sure we're clearly walking with him. I said it this way in my notes here. If it's done in a spirit way for the glory of God, great. If it's done in a selfish way to try to gain favor from God, well, bad. Do you hear it? We're not earning favor with God. Trust me, Jesus Christ and his work on the cross is enough. Everybody say enough. Like that's enough, man. That's all we need is Christ and Christ crucified and Christ glorified. This work is simply us saying, Lord, I just want to be close to you and run with you. May you be honored in my life. Do not let the word ready. The word is legalism. Do not let the extra laws that man adds be a burden that narrows down and kills the passion of running after him. At the same time, do not let your freedom be something where you are ignoring the weaknesses of the one around you okay be careful of the ones next to you love god love the freedom love the person next to you as well all right so make sense you see in the balance here this is life in christ all right he says right after it these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to christ these are a shadow of the things to come i love this analogy a shadow, you know, like the light hits an object and all you get is this 2D flat representation that somehow this other object is there. You know it's there because you see this somewhat similarly related and yet somewhat distorted look of the original object, right? And we would never want to try to have a relationship with the shadow. You want a relationship with the one casting the shadow, right? And so a friend walks in the room and and the shadow, the light hits him and the shadow gets sent down and you don't just turn to the shadow and start talking to it, right? You turn to the person and you want to have a relationship with them. He's saying, don't get distracted by the shadow. The shadows, the things in this world are just an amazing representation, a type of our awesome Christ. Have a relationship with the one casting the shadows. That's our God. The truth is all in him. 
These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. We're kind of back to that umpiring phrase here. Let no one disqualify you. That word literally means to deprive of power or privilege. Don't let that happen, right? They're cheering over it, right? Deprive of power or privilege. Disqualify. Do not let anyone disqualify you. Insisting on, and here's another big word, asceticism. And then the other word would be mysticism to summarize all these. The worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason by sensuous mind. Okay, so we've got some big words here. Let's work through them. Legalism, like I'm going to try to earn some favor by what I do. Extra rules that I put in place. God, may you feel more favor upon me because of it. Legalism, I'm going to try to win more favor by what I do. Asceticism, I'm going to try to win more favor by what I don't do. Like I'm going to withhold needs. I'm going to take on pain. And in taking on the pain, well, God's going to be more impressed. And somehow more favor. That, that's asceticism, okay? This was a huge movement in the monks in the 12 and 1300s. And they, you know, you do think like there was a guy who stood on a pole 50 feet in the air for like years. And just was on the pole. Like, what are you doing? I'm earning favor with God. Dude, isn't it sad? Can you imagine when he got to heaven? He's like, are you kidding? It didn't help? What a bummer. Like all the, all those years completely missing it. They went towards this. The flesh must be beat into place and I'll take care of that. The sad thing is, you probably should have been reading Colossians. Because he gives some really solid answers to that. Asceticism. It's the idea of punishing yourself to try to put the flesh into place that God might get the glory in the end. And really in the end, you're taking the glory yourself because you did it. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. And then he gives some lists of mysticism, some lists of things here that are uh, maybe for some of us kind of strange uh, mysticism. I just said it this way. It's seeking spiritual reality apart from the truth. Seeking spiritual reality apart from the truth. It's like, God, I'm not exactly sure what you want or what you're saying. And I'm not sure what your word says, but I'm going to try to feel it in the air. You know what I'm saying? Like, like maybe God's moving in. And, and so all of a sudden they're worshiping created beings like angels they're, they're going on in detail about special visions. Are you hearing it? It's like, God talked to me and he said, and I saw this thing and it was, and all of a sudden we're all wrapped up in this experience and nobody's saying Jesus Christ is awesome. My vision's awesome. The angels are awesome. Are you hearing it? They're getting off into the shadows and they're missing the substance and we have to be really careful. I mean, I've, I've gone off on this before a couple of times. I'll just say it in one quick sentence. Uh, I, I personally don't like the phrase God told me. Okay, I'd be really careful with the phrase God told me. Uh, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us. And, and I believe that God has a relationship with us and that he cares about us. Okay, God wants to interact with us. He uses his word primarily. So be careful. If you're like, I had this moment where I set the Bible down, I put it away and I just raised my hands and I waited for God to talk to me. And God told me, dude, I'm usually going to ask you. Did you check scripture for that? Did you see how it lines up? What does it say there? And I, we've had people come and tell us. I mean, one person came up to John and we were up uh, at Harvest Naperville on staff. And she said, God told me that I should marry this person. Is this person a believer? No, but God told me. Dude, you're listening to the wrong God. That's a little G God. I don't know where you got that from. That's not in scripture. You know, a couple years later, she came back and told her God told me to divorce him. And that's some gut feel going on. 
That's mysticism at its core. I'm just going to do whatever it feels like is right. And I'm going to call it God in the end. I can't tell you how many times God must be going, I didn't say that. Right? Be careful. Don't put yourself in a position where you're quoting God and God actually had nothing to do with the statement. All right? His word is the prevalent place to find what he has to say on something. God said is from right here. Thus saith the Lord. Make sure your word is speaking to you predominantly. All right. Okay. So that being said, this mysticism, you've got these statements. Notice what it says at the end. They're going on in detail about visions puffed up. Prideful. It's going to, it's going to make you feel better about yourself. You're going to start bragging on you puffed up without reason. Dude, it doesn't even make sense. Stop. You're not thinking. You're just talking, right? Puffed up without reason by your sensuous mind. You're just feeling everything's walking mysticism. It's like this. Hey, did you feel that? I think God just told me something. I think he just said like, that's mysticism and it's over and over again with the, I think he said, I think he's saying instead of like, I think he wrote you a letter, read it, see what he has to say about it. You'll be amazed what's going on in there. Does God move within our spirit and confirm things? Yes. Does God move as people can give advice and counsel? Yes. Does God predominantly move through the Holy Spirit teaching you in his word? Okay, make sure you go there first and foremost. The more you look for the mystical explanation of God at work in your life, the more you're saying, I'm sorry, God, but you talking to me in your word and you transforming me, really not enough. I I really want some big, special, extra experience so that I can label it God at work. Okay, do you hear what I'm saying? Mysticism, it really is kind of a slap in the face to the miracle of reconciliation that God is doing in us, around us, and for us. Let's make sure that he is being allowed to talk to us in the way he said he's going to, through his word predominantly, all right? Okay, so that said, he says, and not holding, and what are you doing? What's not working? What are you doing wrong? You're not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Who's the head? Christ, okay? You're not holding fast to Christ. You're not clinging to him. Instead, you're running into these sensuous, momentary, personal, human experiences. You're not making Jesus Christ. You're all holding fast, like gripping tightly, firmly. Well, how do I know if I'm following these shadows or if I'm actually following the substance, holding fast to Christ? Okay, top five ways you know you're following a shadow. Top five ways you know you're following a shadow. Number one, no joy. It's going to steal your joy. There's something you're doing that's going after self and going after things God's made, but not God. And in the midst of it, there's something lacking and you can't even maybe put your finger on it, but it's just this joy thing scripture talks about. I don't have that. No joy. Number two, no thankfulness. A thankful heart comes from a heart in relationship with God. You'll be amazed. It ebbs and flows. Like in the middle of a given day, all of a sudden your thankfulness is gone. It can come and go as fast as the wind. Be careful. No joy, no thankfulness, no endurance. Man, you don't have joy and you don't have thankfulness. Your longevity is cut short, right? Hanging in there with no joy and no thankfulness. The next thing we're doing is like, God's just calling me to a hard work, right? Like we're going to the asceticism. Are you hearing it? Like, just hurt me, Lord. Hurt me for Jesus, right? That's not what he's talking about. There's times where we go through some tough pain, okay? That's different. 
Paul talks about having a joy even in the midst of our tough circumstances. Joy is despite the circumstance. Okay? No joy. No thankfulness. No endurance. Number four. Somehow our answers start and end with I. Well, I did. Well, I think. Well, I believe. Well, you should see what they said to me about. Right? Somehow it all revolves around me and I. You're going to find those two pronouns really big in your vocabulary when you're following shadows. And number five, when it's not going down your way and you're trying to control it, your number one tool is anger. Anger. I'll move them by my heat. I will move the situation by my firmness. My anger will get it done. Do you hear it? That's a big deal. Top five indicators, no joy, no thankfulness, no endurance, starts and ends with I, and anger is your tool. Be really careful. We're called instead to hold fast to Christ. It brings a joy. It brings a thankfulness. It brings an endurance. It brings a him statement, a he statement, not an I statement. And anger is not our tool. Oftentimes, tears are your tool as you sit with someone, you cry with them, you hurt with them, you pray for them, you hunger for them. God at work, holding fast. Take time with them. Take time to hear what he has to say in his word. Take time to share what you're thinking. Praying. Okay, so praying and time in the word. It was good. I was talking to somebody this week and they said, you know, I used to always hear this. If you want to be a good believer, read your Bible and pray. Sadly, the thing I never heard was and obey. So I read my Bible a ton. I just wasn't worried about doing what it said. I just read it and checked the box a ton. Be careful. Take time in his word to follow his word that God might be honored. Take time in his word, pray, worship. It's another great way to hold fast to him. Make your week a week-long thing of worship and partner. Make sure you're hooked up with those around you who are doing the same. Hold fast to Christ. It'll bring a joy and a thankfulness. It'll recenter you that he might give, be given the, the glory. Notice what he says, the end result He says, if you hold fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished, knit together, growing with a growth that is from God. See, true growth is God's growth. True growth is not you muscling it. How many times do we have to say this, right? It's not you muscling it. It's God doing the work. And God's growth in you, it's him knitting you together. It's him giving you the nourishment, you being blessed because of his presence. God growing you. What a great privilege we have to be in him. You know, we were out to dinner with a, a, a couple, probably about a year ago now, maybe a little bit more even, and we were talking to them, and they were talking about this church and being here at this place, and they said, you know, I can tell you this. I've been about church a long time. I've been saved for a long time. My life has been about the church. And Christ had a part in it. But now... Now my life is all Christ, and the church a part of it. Are you hearing the flip? I was about the church, and Christ was a part. Now I'm about Christ, and the church is a part of it. The church, it's another type. It's a shadow. It's like, this is what's going on, and we together gather together, and we are his called out ones, but it represents his greatness as he moves in and among us. Lord, may your church be lifted up that you might be glorified. Man, we got to get up to you. When we stop at church and make it all horizontal, we are letting people take the place of God. And his, his statement is simply this. I love the fact 
that I've gotten a fire for Jesus Christ. So that's where we need to be is our substance, our head, our God, our savior. He's got our attention with all we're doing. That God might be glorified in your life. Go after him as the substance. Don't go after those shadows. So question. What shadows get your your attention? What distracts you? What things in your life do you go after that are made by God? It's okay that you have some time with them, but they're getting too much of your attentions. In fact, maybe they're stealing away some of your joy or your thankfulness. You're not able to weather the storms of whatever God's brought your way. Did you know we're told? God very clearly says, I'm not going to bring anything your way that won't break you. I know you can handle it, and I'm there with you through it, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, I am there with you, and I'm telling you there's a way to escape in the midst of. You're not going to collapse under the temptation. You can handle it with me there. God's an almighty God, and he calls us to a walk with him. Let's make sure we give him the due respect in our lives, right? So that's the first thing is focused. Make sure the substance has your attention, not the shadow. The second thing, you're free. Live for Christ, not the world. Live for Christ, not the world. Verse 20, he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Notice it starts with the word if. He's dealing with a hypothetical here. He's like, come on, guys, you're not even making sense. Think about it. These elemental principles of the world or these elemental spirits of the world, like these are the building blocks of somebody who's clueless about the world. And they're starting with all you could possibly know of the world in and of yourself. And as you build out from that, you get something, but it's kind of a clueless something. And and you know you don't live for that. You're free from that. And, And if you've been given life in him, then why, why are you still trying to live in the world according to the regulations? Why are you asking the world what their view of life is and trying to live it? That's what he's saying. Let's make sure that we give him the attention, give him the privilege, give him our all. Why are you submitting to their regulations? You know what the rules of the world are? Rules of the world. One of two ways. Self-indulgence. Like, just take it. It's yours. Self-denial. Hurt yourself. Don't give it to yourself. Try to, but it's always self. The world teaches self because that's all the world's got to give. Self-denial, self-indulgence. Which one are you buying into? Lord willing, neither. Let's set them down. He says, look, there's some regulations. What are they? Verse 21, he gives us an example. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Okay? This is a three-part command. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's like the physical things of the world and the sensory perceptions you have, right? And it's saying, don't get involved with them with physical interaction. That's the world statement, right? So they're going to the side of self-denial here, right? Just deny yourself these things. It's back to the asceticism of sorts. It's like, hurt yourself with this. <laughs> Say no to it and, and see how much more like God you become. Notice it says in verse 22, referring to things... That all perish as they are used. Come on, man. He's just talking about the physical. That's what Paul says. Come on. They're just talking about the physical according to human precepts and teachings. You got to be kidding me. The human mindset, the physical world, the self-denial plan. That's not where it's at. That's not going to change you. In fact, in Galatians chapter three, Paul says it this way. Are you kidding? 
You were saved by the spirit. Now you're going to be sanctified by the flesh. No way. You're saved by the spirit. You're going to be sanctified by the spirit. Let him work. That's what he's challenging. So these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Verse 23. Yeah, that's a bummer. It actually sounds smart. Like when you hear it said and when you think it out, it's like, so I'm trying to get my flesh in line. And, and so what I should do is I'll try to sort of beat my flesh into submission. I'll try to deny it some things it wants. And, and by doing so, I'll begin to train my flesh the way it should go. Well, that kind of maybe makes some sense, right? We think of it in other areas like weightlifting or something. And you're like, well, I want to lift more tomorrow. So I lift today so that I can lift tomorrow. And actually... It carries with it a little bit of wisdom and it just all falls apart because in fact what's needed is a divine surgery that we could never perform. And it doesn't get noticed until you've tried it for a number of years and you're sick of the no joy and you're sick of the no thankfulness and you're sick of the dead to all this stuff and you're sick of it won't change me and I'm constantly struggling with the same anger and I'm not seeing any victory and yet I'm doing all this legalistic stuff and I'm denying myself all these things and this Christianity doesn't work. Well, you're right. This Christianity, that one that you just described doesn't work, right? That's not the Christianity guys describing the word of the Bible that teaches is like set that junk down. It's a divine thing in your life. It's got it working you. It's the spirit changing you. Let him move. I'm telling you, you're trying too hard. You're muscling it. You need to begin to start to see where you're falling short and now say, God, why am I gripping onto that so tightly? I'm letting go so that you can work in me now. What do I need to humbly apologize for and get right before you that you can start taking over that piece in my life? The fruit of the spirit is self-control. The world would teach self-control is something you beat in. It doesn't work. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. He says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom. By the way, I love the word indeed. Okay. Like, just watch for little power words like that when you're reading through Scripture. He's like, he doesn't just say, these have uh, some appearance of wisdom. He's like, duh. Like, indeed, these have the appearance of wisdom. Of course it looks that way to the mind's eye, to the human being. But we got to stop thinking humanly. we got to start thinking spiritually. He says, in promoting what? In promoting self-made religion. And here's that word asceticism again, right? Denying self and hurting self that you might get some gain. You're promoting self-made religion. And how many times have we been a part of a place like that? How many times have we defined our walk to be that? And we'll go ahead, go ahead quoting, it's all in Jesus Christ. And then in the next minute, we start to fail in some way. And we actually get deeply disappointed with ourselves. And we're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Next time I'm going to... And somehow our list has more to do with, like, I'm going to hurt myself more. I'm going to deny myself more. I'm going to force myself more. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And we just fell into the trap. It's, God, what can I do to give this over to you more? How can I have you have more control? Because your spirit in me, now that's self-control. God, what do I need to give up? What do I need to hold my hands open to that you might actually take charge? God taking charge, not us gripping tight and running with it. Notice he says at the end, self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Need I say more? 
They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Say it again. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The flesh will run amok. Self-denial and self-indulgence just keep you on self. God Almighty, may I learn to allow you to work in my life. Lord, may I literally see you taking charge in me. I'll just use a, an analogy or an illustration. Uh, I was listening to a James McDonald sermon on this passage, and he used this illustration. It's a great illustration, so I'm stealing it. Okay. So uh, there's a guy named uh, William Randolph Hearst, and uh, he was living out on the West Coast, and he was uh, collecting paintings, super wealthy guy, just a big art collector, collecting anything he wanted. Got his people together, and he's like, do me a favor. I want these paintings. Go get them. And so his people went out looking, and they're looking everywhere, and they couldn't find them, and, and they had to come back, and they're like, they're, they're not to be found in the marketplace. And he's like, get the paintings. I told you what I want. Go get them. Find them. Please go get them. And so he goes out. These people go out again, and they're looking everywhere, and they take a good long time, and they're talking with each other, and like, we got to go tell them we can't. They come back in. Hey, long story short, turns out he already had the paintings. They were in a warehouse locked up. He'd already obtained them prior. That's why they weren't out on the marketplace. Guess what? That's how you and I live the Christian walk pretty much every day. You've already got what you need for life and transformation. The almighty Christ in you. You don't need to be running out into the world and finding what the world has to offer that you might grow because of the world's rules, whether it be the gaining or the lack of rules, whatever it is, you don't need what the world has. You've got what you need in Christ, your almighty savior, the substance of things, not the shadow, the head of all our God. And he wants to work within you a divine purpose of glorifying himself as he literally teaches you. To just let him work. Our God at work in your life. I'm telling you, you can cooperate. And as you do these things like practicing godliness coming out of Timothy, you'll be running hard after something. And there'll be a moment where you trip and fall. Those are great moments to go, what? What do I need to work on, Lord? What do I need to let go of here? There's something that I need to say, sorry, I'm gripping too tight to the me world. It's time to be grabbing more onto Christ. And as I find that thing where I grab more onto him and less onto me, you'll find a freedom in what you were tripping on before. Let him work divinely in you. Be patient along the way. Every moment we're upset that we're not perfect, you just found you were living a legalistic life. I got this one, Jesus. I don't need you. I'll live it my way. And I'll prove to you I earned you. That's not where we're at. His work for us is all that we've got. Lord, I'm hearing you. That's legalism, right? Asceticism. I'm just going to take everything away from me and hurt me, Lord, that I might get closer to you. doesn't work. Lord, it's simply this. I'm just going to hold my hands open loosely. And I'm going to try to hear what I need to be grabbing more onto you with. Notice there's one thing we're told in this whole passage what to hold on to. Hold fast to the head, Jesus Christ. That's where the transformation's at. Let's pray.